I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach. And today we're going to be discussing how to create and design a life that we love. You know, very often we go through life and we just flow through it. We don't consciously choose where we're going with it. We go with the flow. And I think it's that conscious life that creates such a beautiful life. Because if you don't create something consciously, it becomes haphazard. And while there might be some, you know, beauty in the mess, but I think a consciously created life is so important. So with us today, we have Tanya Lyon, who's going to discuss and teach us how to create this beautiful life. Tanya, welcome to the Happy Coach Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you. And I love what you said, right? A, a life that is um, not focused can be delightful and haphazard, but we have ways to make it better, right? And we all are looking forward to living our very best lives. And so that's why I'm excited to talk about this with you today. Thank you for letting me join you. Thank you, Tanya. I absolutely agree. It's about living the best life. Tanya, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name, as you said, is Tanya Lyon. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I grew up in Washington State. I've been a television news anchor, a broadcaster for 20-some years, and then I recreated my life, and I was a pastor at a megachurch in Charlotte for another 10 years, and now I am a personal and developed personal and professional development coach. So yeah, sometimes my life can feel busy, but I'm learning to become aware of my own habits so that I can choose what I want my day to look like, what I want my life to look like. And that is really about what designing a life you'll love is all about. It's about awareness. And I know that you know what I'm talking about, Ashton. So true. You know, just that one word changing busy to full makes such a difference in the way that we describe ourselves, right? Oh, my life is busy. My life is busy. Then immediately busy turns into stressful. Immediately stressful has these negative connotations. And then suddenly somewhere along the way, Tanya, stress has become cool. And everyone is like, oh, so I'm so stressed. I'm so busy. I think we need to take a step back and realize that there are far more positive ways of describing the way that we live. Like you said, a full life and then yes. design and create it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have noticed in my own vocabulary opportunities like that all the time, opportunities to, to decide what I want my life to be. So if I catch myself complaining about things, I'm learning to notice, hey, am I complaining about the same thing over and over again? Whose fault is that? I think it might be that I get to choose right now. I don't want to blame myself because that's certainly not not a pleasant choice to make. It's not a helpful choice to make, but I can notice and then I can make a choice to begin again. Every single day, we get a brand new opportunity to begin again. And if there were habits yesterday that weren't serving me well, I can start again today. And that is the beauty of being human. Don't you think? It's just the beauty of being human that we get to begin again. What a blessing that we woke up today. And then we get a chance to live and love another day. Absolutely. Your past is gone, but your future is in your control. And whatever you do today mm -hmm. is going to impact it. So right. use right. that day well. I think that is so, so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being too concerned about the past is what causes regret, isn't it? Mm. It causes regret. It causes resentment. Living in the future 
thinking too much about the future is what causes my anxiety. When I start to worry about things I cannot control because they're not in this moment, that's what causes my anxiety. But we don't have an opportunity to change those things if we don't become aware of them. And so one of the things in our process that we work on is becoming aware of our own thoughts and our own behaviors. Self-awareness is really a key to designing a life that you'll love. And so we have several assessments that we use. The Enneagram is an important one. There is um, a great online assessment that I like that helps us to understand our addictive behaviors, our addictive tendencies. Um, and once you become more aware and awake, I think you used that word already, right? You want to live a, a life that's awake. Once you become aware of those tendencies, then you can make a decision, not judging them, not saying this is a negative thing or a positive thing, but just noticing what it is without judgment. Because sometimes with judgment comes fear, right? And fear we know is not a helpful place for us to land at all, right? So we can let go of the fear and make a choice to move forward in courage, but we can't do that until we're aware of our behaviors. And I think, Ashton, one of the things that I take my clients through is a series of mindfulness training, helping them to learn to slow down and tune into their own breath the breath, of course, is the center of who we are, the core of who we are. It's our very life force. Without breathing, we die, right? Without breath, there's nothing left at all. Um, we cease to exist. And so tuning into that life force, that gift to us, helps us to be more focused on who we are and let go of everything happening all around us for a bit. There is a, a neuroscientist um, that I follow that tells us that it's important to spend 16 minutes a day, at least 16 minutes a day doing absolutely nothing. Mm. Do you get this? Do you, I mean, ha, when you try this, it's impossible at first, right? Have you tried this before, Ashton? I bet you have. It's crazy. It's, I call it empty time, right? Where you just look out the window. Yes. You don't think about anything. Try not to do anything. You don't even sit with your coffee cup. You just yes. do nothing for a bit. And um, I, I remember doing this with my finance consultant. And you can imagine his head was filled with thoughts and he couldn't last more than two minutes. He was like, are we done yet? Like, what is this nonsense, right? And we just think that we're wasting time when we do this, but we don't realize that we're actually creating space for new things to come in. That's right. Not only are we creating space, yes, and we're doing that, but we're also creating new healthy connections in our brain. Our brains have the ability to heal themselves and to create new connections, but they can't do that if I'm worrying about things all the time. Um, the, uh, the neuroscientist I was telling you about, she talks about how when we have unpleasant thoughts, when we continue in a pattern of unpleasant thoughts, we're actually creating physical death in our brains. So when we're cultivating positive thoughts, when we're cultivating healthy, helpful, pleasant thoughts, we're actually creating green things in our brain. And I love creation. I love plants. I love flowers. Everything is blooming here in the Charlotte area right now. It's incredibly gorgeous. And it's a reminder to me that I can create life in my very own brain just by staying positive. Now, this doesn't mean, and you know this, this doesn't mean I can be in denial about things that are no longer working for me. I can't just sail through the clouds and not get my bills paid. I can't just sail up there and not pay attention to what's important. But I can take time, as you mentioned, to do nothing, to just tune into my breath 
to waste a little time with myself in a healthy way so that I can slow down, pay attention to my own breathing, pay attention to my own thoughts so that I can decide which ones I want to get attached to, right? Detachment is such an important skill to learn. What do I want to pay attention to and what do I not want to pay attention to? And I have to tell you, I've not always been good at this. I've been really good about caring about everything and then not doing anything very well, right? I really do. I'm a limited human being. And so I have to take time to care about the things that are really mine to care for. I can't care about everything and do that. Well, only God can do that, right? (laughs) I can't, I can't do that. No, we don't have the capacity and we shouldn't even try and, right. and like you said, you know, I, I love this exercise, which is imagine you're sitting back in a movie theater and you're seeing your life play out on the screen in front of you. So you're detaching yourself from your daily thoughts, from yourself, from whatever is happening in your life. And you're just observing and becoming an observer is so critical in taking those first steps of designing your life. Because unless you take a step back and look at the blueprints, how can you start creating what it is that you want? Why do people not design a life that they want? I mean, where does the disconnect take place? How do people not end up designing a life? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it became living up to other people's expectations of who they thought I was supposed to be um, and or my ideas of other people's expectations of me and what they thought I should be. So I grew up, as I mentioned, in the Pacific Northwest of the United States of America, and I um, thought that I knew both of my parents. But I came to find out sometime later that my dad that I grew up with my whole life was not my biological father. I only found out about a year ago that my heritage is half Cambodian and then half European. Yeah, I had no idea. I'm sure other people looked at me and said, oh, yeah, you look like a cute Asian girl. But I didn't know that. Right. I didn't know because my parents didn't have any Asian look to them whatsoever. So so I tell you that because I think that we can tend to live up to other people's expectations, our parents' expectations, our mentors, our teachers, our coaches, without really checking in with who am I really created to be? Who am I designed to be? Like, for instance, you know, I'm like 110 pounds. I'm never going to be a football player, right? Even if I wanted to, I'm never going to be a a WNBA basketball player. That's just not, that's not how I was created. And so I've got to check in with who am I really? And one of the exercises that we do at the very beginning with our clients is a values exercise. Mm -hmm. And you know that we are already living out our values with the things that we do. We're already doing that, but we often are doing it subconsciously or unconsciously. Once we've decided to really get clear about what our values are and then live out those values, keep them in front of us on the regular so that we're living who we want to be, not what others think we should be, not what our past has been, but who we want to be, that changes everything. So yeah, checking in with your values, keeping those in front of you. And um, there's a therapy called um, acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT. You've probably heard of it. Um, there's this beautiful list of about 150 values. And when you get clear on what your top five to 10 of those are, it just changes 
everything. It allows you to become more focused and to let go of um, those things that no longer serve you well, that were maybe in your past or um, maybe habits that, that you picked up along the way that are no longer serving you well. Once you've done that and you can get really clear on what your values are, you can design a life you love. And that's part of the blueprint that we, um, that we help people create. And, and uh, you and I talked about this before we started recording that um, as a coach, I'm not the expert. You're the expert on your life. I'm not the expert on your life. But what we can do as coaches, and I know Ashton, you do the same thing with your clients. We walk alongside you. We sit with you. We listen deeply to you. And we help you understand what's already inside of you. We help you to trust yourself again in ways that maybe you don't anymore. And I know that happened for me. It is like holding a mirror and being with you and and seeing that. We're going to take a quick break. See you on the other side. Welcome back. All right, let's jump into the conversation. Tanya, I want to understand a little bit more about values. I think that's such an important discussion to have, right? Because if you don't know what your values are, you wouldn't know how to design anything. You'd be designing a home for somebody else. You'd be designing a life for somebody else, not a life for yourself. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about values? How to how do we start the process of understanding our values and going through that? Yeah. So when I take my clients through this exercise, there's a list of about 150 values. And my top values include things like trust and collaboration and compassion. Those are three of my top values. Gratitude is another one of them. So Every time I show the clients this like five page list to begin with, it feels a little overwhelming. And you're like, how am I going to pick? It's like going to a really great restaurant with too big of a menu, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to be all of those things. Um, but what I invite them to do is to drop down into their whole body, get connected, not just to their head, but to their whole body, their heart, their gut, and their mind. So an example of this, when I first looked at the list, the first word that jumped out to me was compassion. And what I recognized as I sat with that word is that I really want people to think I'm compassionate. Now, I know that compassion is a high value of mine, but it's maybe not the highest. It is the way I want people to see me, but is it really who I'm made to be? Does that resonate with you? Do you get kind of the difference between those two things, right? You probably talk about the difference between our our true self, right? Our deepest, truest self and the false self that we want everybody to see. How do we tap into that true self? So many people find that very hard, right? In fact, we were doing a fun exercise this morning in our office and we were saying, okay, so find out about your that your team members, you already know about yourself. And many people said, no, I don't think I know myself too well. How do we find <laughs> out about ourselves first? Because you're right, we just pro- project an image. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of internal work and it takes a lot of time. And it also takes an openness to have people around you who are willing to speak the truth to you in love, right? People that um, you have relationship with, that you can trust, that you can trust their kindness and wisdom and and that they actually care about you. If we don't have people in our lives that are willing to say, hey, you might have a blind spot here. Um, you might be headed into something that I don't know that you know that you do this, 
but when you do this, it makes me feel like this. And if we don't have people in our lives to do that, we're going to be living out of our false self all the time, trying to perform, trying to please, trying to show up in the world as something that we might not truly and deeply be. And what's crazy about it is that we think that, right? Like our false false self tries really hard to hold on to control, doesn't it? Like I I had been building up this persona of a TV news anchor for a super long time. When I started to realize, wait, I don't I don't think that's really who I am. I think I'm more of a pastor. Um at first it felt um it felt like like a, a, a bit of my skin kind of being torn away <laughs> because we do, we create these false selves, uh, shields to protect our inner selves, right? Um, ways that we show up in the world that we think people will accept us and approve of us. But what we really need to do is approve of ourselves, to accept ourselves. And we're not going to be able to do that if we don't get really real with ourselves. So you asked a simple question and I gave a really long answer. I think that one of the easiest, best ways to find out about your true self is to be alone with yourself in stillness and in silence. Have you tried this? I'll bet that you have. What's your experience with stillness and silence? I'd love to hear. So my experience with stillness and silence is the way that the everyday thoughts start disappearing. You know, like, for example, when I meditate, one of the most beautiful things is observing your thoughts flow like a river. So it's not about having zero thoughts, but it's about not being attached to the thoughts. And that attachment to these thoughts is actually what causes the problem, because then you start, you know, going around in circle and, and trying to dissect it and judging it. And, oh, this is a bad thought. I shouldn't be having thoughts like this. I should be having thoughts like that. And in fact, that was my next question to you, because I know so many people who, when they do an exercise like this, they say, Ashton, but I don't want to be alone with myself. That mm-hmm. scares me. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm scary. Right. I don't even want to accept that part of me. Mm-hmm. How do you accept that part of you? Yeah. So I think that one of the best ways to accept the dark parts of ourself is to, um, to spend time in meditation and prayer and to recognize that we're accepted just as we are, that the thoughts about hurting people, can I just be really honest as a parent, right? You have thoughts about wanting to kill your children and that's a terrible thing to say, but I know every parent has them at moments. Um, And the same thing with spouses, the same thing with people that we disagree with. We have dark thoughts, right? And what I try to remind myself and my clients of is that those dark thoughts are a part of you. And you don't have to reject them. You don't have to try to push them down. They're a part of who you are. And darkness is a part of being human. And once we recognize those parts of us that we have tried to push away, we actually get more power back. We actually get more strength back because trying to push all those things down all the time takes an awful lot of energy. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, but recognizing, hmm, I have a tendency, you know, whatever it is, I have a tendency to think too often about, you know, killing someone in the cubicle next to me. Once you recognize, okay, so, so maybe that's a clue to me, right? Those kinds of thoughts are a clue to me 
then I might need to spend some time getting to know that person better. Because I feel like, Ashton, that once you get to know people and you recognize that we are more alike than we are different, most of those kinds of tensions can begin to melt away. So accepting that you're going to have dark thoughts, you're human, doesn't make you weird, doesn't make you wrong. It makes you human and it's okay. Now you get to decide if you're going to act on any of those thoughts, right? And, and um, that's the important part, right? Noticing the thoughts, deciding I'm not going to act on that one. I'm not even going to get attached to that one. I'm just going to let that one float on by and recognize that it's a part of who I am, but I don't have to get attached to it. Is that helpful? Very critical. Very, very. So I've got my values down, all right? I know what's important to me in life um, from a values point of view. What do I do next? Yeah. Next, we set some goals based on our values, right? Mm -hmm. We set some goals based on our values. And then we also start thinking about what we need to let go of, right? So uh, the process that I take people through is called uh, permission to lean in and let go. Um, And uh, I had to do this for myself because at age 56, I realized I had a lot of habits that were no longer serving me well. And that I was going to need to let go of some of those things. I was going to need to let go of some thoughts, some feelings, and some habits. Um, And one of the things that you and I already talked about is permission to be human, Mm -hmm. right? which means I'm going to be imperfect. I'm going to be in process. I'm going to make mistakes every day. And I have permission to make mistakes. You're not going to grow without giving yourself permission to make mistakes. So um, another one is um, giving yourself permission to not judge, not judge yourself or others. And I love um, one of the Instagram posts that you have talks about that word should that I should do this or I shouldn't do that. We need to delete that word from our vocabulary, you say, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, Learning to not judge, but that's a habit, isn't it? That we have to recognize before we can make a choice to let go of it, right? Correct. Picking it up is the habit, like recognizing, oh, I just said the word should right now. Yes. I should not be saying the word should. Yes. And realizing yes. where it's coming from, you know, it's coming from a place of judgment. It's coming from a place of this is right, this is wrong. Yes. And, and like you said, we're all having a human experience. Where is yes. the right or wrong? You yes. can have a choice and the choice is critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a few of the other permissions that we talk about is permission to laugh or cry. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, although I didn't recognize it at the time. Maybe we all grow up in kind of dysfunctional homes. We just, homes, don't, we just maybe, don't recognize them. But we don't recognize it right away until we get outside of our own homes to, to see more of the world. And, you know, your dysfunction is different from mine often. Anyway, all of that to just say, I was really a serious young person. Um, and, uh, I, I had to learn to laugh again. I had to learn new ways to have fun because I had sort of left some of that behind in my childhood. So that's another healthy habit that I would want to add in. How do you have fun? How do you laugh? What do you like? That's another list that I like to help people make is, is what do you like? What do you like? And this came up because um, my spouse asked me a question. He said, do you like going to our son's baseball games? And that was the weirdest question to me because I thought, we've known each other a long time. Wouldn't you know the answer to that? But then I thought, okay, if you don't know, maybe I don't know either. So I'm actually going to take this as an opportunity to decide what do I like? And listeners, you can do this at home. You can just 
make a list of the things that you like. And I know it sounds elementary and I know it sounds simple, but the truth is if you start making that list, you'll uncover things that you didn't know were there, right? And that those things you can begin to focus on based on your values and you can decide what does this like fit under my value of trust? Does this like fit under my value of gratitude, right? And then um, you can make decisions based on those things. And, And it's harder than you might think, again, because of our tendency for some of us to people please and to choose our likes based on what other people have said about us or what other people expect of us, right? We could do a whole podcast on expectations, couldn't we? And uh, making a choice to live up to our own expectations instead of those of others. So, And having expectations for ourselves is, again, you know, um, a goal-setting thing because very often we create very difficult expectations for ourselves. I mean, we expect more from ourselves than we do from others. And we create our, a, a trap almost for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. We can be so hard on ourselves, can't we? Mm. And um, you probably talk about this in your work. We talk about the inner critic. We talk about um, giving a name to the inner critic. So if you haven't heard this topic before about um, inner critic, it can often come from a judgmental um, upbringing and a parent who might have said harsh things to you or a coach that said harsh things or a teacher, or maybe it was just your big brother. I don't know, but there's probably an inner critic in you that says, you are sucky. You don't have what it takes. You are stupid. Um, The one that I always hear is um, you're not worthy of love. Hmm. My inner critic tells me I'm not worthy of love. And um, I know that if you were in the room with us, you would look at me and you'd go, Tanya, you are so worthy of love. Well, that's what I need to be for myself. And folks at home, that's what you need to be for yourself. You need to be able to look in the mirror and say, I am worthy of love. And that's another exercise we take people through, Ashton. And this is a crazy one. I hope you'll like this. Um, When I recognize that um, a client has a harsh inner critic, I'll tell them, invite them, I'll invite them to try this exercise, to stand in front of a mirror for 10 minutes every day and take a look at yourself and say from the top of your head to the tips of your toes, I like my hair. I like my eyes. I like my nose. I like my smile. I like my ears. I like my shoulders. I like my torso, like all the parts of you. And ladies, you know that this gets difficult, especially during swimsuit season, right? You're like, oh, but I don't like. And so the invitation is to notice those points of resistance and welcome them, not push them away, but welcome them. When you're looking at your thighs and you're going, I don't like my thighs or I don't like my hips, that's your inner critic. You are exactly who you're supposed to be. And the invitation is to notice those points of resistance within ourselves, those inner critic moments, and to welcome them. Because that critic is a part of you now too. And you can befriend her or him. And you can say, all right, inner critic, you've gotten me this far in my life. I've attained some levels of success, but you're no longer serving me well. So let's be friends. Okay, let's be friends. In fact, I'm going to give you a silly name. I give my my inner critic a silly name. Her name is Frida. (laughs) And when freaky Frida starts to get on my nerves, I'll say, come on. I have compassion for her. And I say, hey, let's be friends. My thighs aren't really my favorite. (laughs) However, they're mine and they work 
and I can walk and I can run. And that is pretty awesome. And so I'm going to choose to say, I like my thighs. I like my hips. And if there are parts of me that I don't like, that I do want to change, then I can take steps towards that, right? I can make a decision to spend more time in the gym or I can eat differently. I can make, create some different habits to, um, to design a body I'll love a little bit more maybe than the one I love now. But I really think it's more important to accept ourselves first before we go on some major renovation project of our bodies. So. Correct. You know, Tanya, there are two important things here. One is that our, our internal HR team is already at the our inner critic, right? So the inner critic has a job. What we need to do is we need to ask our inner HR team to find an inner cheerleader. And yes. We need a cheerleader to start, you know, cheerleading for us just as well yes. as we have our freaky Frida doing that for us. Yes. Yes. Who will you name? Do you have a name for your inner critic, Ashton? I have no idea. I'm just, I was just thinking about that while you were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. you'll have to tell me once you decide who it is. Done. I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> All right. So that was part one of understanding how we can start designing our life. Make sure you come in and listen to part two because that is so critical. We design, we, we discuss how to take things, how to understand the world around us and how to actually begin to make those changes in our life. Now, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at IVM podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am at Ashton Doc on Twitter and Instagram. We have a brand new habit coaching online course, quizzes, videos, and a lot more on the website awesome180.com. So check it out now.